Hello and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. As stated in the paper we're going to discuss today, community health workers are frontline public health workers who are trusted members of and or they possess a deep understanding of the communities they support. As health systems place increased attention on addressing what some call the social determinants of health, community health workers or CHWs can play a critical role. The close ties that CHWs have to their communities means they also live with the disadvantages that often exist in those communities, limited resources, a lack of safety, and daily experiences of racism, both structural and interpersonal. What can we learn from the voices of CHWs? Well, the answer is a lot, and we're going to do that in today's episode of A Health Podacy. I'm here with Chidima Ibe, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Dr. Ibe and co-authors published a paper in the October 2023 issue of Health Affairs examining the lived experiences community health workers share with their clients. Through a series of discussions with CHWs in the Baltimore area, building upon photographs taken by the CHWs, the authors identified themes and developed recommendations designed to improve conditions for CHWs in the communities where they live and work. We'll discuss the themes and recommendations in today's episode. Dr. Ebay, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's really an honor to be here. This is a great topic. People are, I believe, understanding in an increasing way the important role that community health workers can play, but we have so much to learn. If we could just start with you telling us a little bit about what a community health worker is and why it is so important for us to think about them, particularly in their role for reducing health disparities. Sure. So you mentioned earlier how community health workers are defined, and a lot of that definition actually comes from community health workers themselves. So members of the CHW section of the American Public Health Association described community health workers as frontline public health workers, and they're members of or trust have a deep understanding of the communities that they support. And because they're able to cultivate a trusting relationship between themselves and the people receiving their supports or services, they're serving as liaisons or intermediaries between health and social services and the community. And this really helps to facilitate better access to services, and it improves the quality and cultural competence of service delivery. So when we think about the impact of community health workers in terms of racial um, and ethnic disparities, we see a pretty robust literature that shows that the roles that community health workers play in terms of building individual and community capacity, service navigation, patient navigation, care coordination, or even, and very importantly, forms of social support they've been found to be really effective in helping to bridge the gap that exists between historically marginalized communities and the broader healthcare system, as well as some social services that can be difficult to access. And so in that way, the direct supports that they provide that address various adverse social determinants of health, 
really play a role in shaping the progression of health disparities that we observe among minoritized communities and shaping it in a positive way. Yes. So this may seem obvious, but of course, the strength of being tied to the community also means that the CHWs themselves experience a lot of the burdens that the members of those communities experience every day. Can you say a little bit more about what hardships the CHWs do confront in those communities? Sure. And um, I do have to say at the outset, you know, one of the things that happens a lot in studies that talk about social determinants of health is we get lost in the reality that actually all of us face social determinants of health. It's not just confined to people who are have a lower income or are from various racial or ethnic minority groups. And so when we think about communities that have been systematically marginalized, they face a greater exposure to adverse social determinants of health that manifest at the individual level. And one of the things that sparked this study was myself and the co-authors, including a co-author who is a community health worker, so many times throughout the past several years, we have had community health workers um, come to us and tell us about some of the struggles that they have had financially or have had within their families. And it really underscores the reality that because community health workers are coming from the communities that they're supporting, many of these, which, you know, for these communities do tend to be structurally disadvantaged, they're navigating the same kinds of issues and systems that, you know, they're helping other people to navigate and to overcome. And because they have experience doing so, it just kind of confers this expertise and wisdom in terms of thinking about navigating situations that can help people overcome various social risk factors. So that's what is meant by this idea that they are facing the same hardships that they're helping other people to confront. Yeah, so um, seeing that as an asset uh, is is really important here, that although the hardships are real, the fact that the CHW has navigated them themselves and has experience with them themselves, it provides not just credibility to the client, but also wisdom that can be imparted uh, in the relationship. Um, So we're going to move soon into some of the lessons you learned from them. But before we do that, I do want to pick up on the technique used in the study. It's something probably many of our listeners aren't familiar with, which is a photo voice. Can you tell us a little bit about the role that played in your work here? Sure. We used photo voice, as you mentioned, and photo voice is essentially a type of participatory visual qualitative research method. And by participatory, it means that those who are involved in the study are actively engaged in shaping the course of the questions that are asked, the types of things that get discussed, and really, they're not just passive members of the study. And so, in photo voice, photography is used to engage the participants in thinking about and dialoguing their community strengths and needs and capacity for social change. Now, for this particular study, because we were really interested in the intersection between who community health workers are 
and their own adverse social determinants of health. We structured the questions in such a way as to really illuminate what their experiences were, both past and present, and how that affects them professionally. So what we did was we, you know, at the very beginning of the study for each of the cohorts who are part of the study at large, we had an introductory session where we described what social determinants of health are, what lived experiences are, and then we asked them to take pictures of the neighborhoods that they have either lived in and or work in. And then we would meet with them over the course of a five-week period So the first of those sessions was just the introductory session. The remaining four sessions were really dedicated to going through what is called the SHOWED framework. So SHOWED basically helps to facilitate the discussion around the questions themselves. And so, for example, one of the questions would be something like, what does this mean? What are the, something related to the implications of their, of the images that they took on what it, it means for themselves as community health workers, um, both personally and professionally? And so it was in this particular study, because we had 16 participants, we had four cohorts of community health workers And that was the way we used this method to basically ascertain their experiences, just navigating their own lives and their professional endeavors. It's such an interesting uh, mechanism for engagement. I'll just say, looking at the paper and a few of the photos are appear there, it gives you a completely different sense of the research results than uh, the kinds of figures and tables that we often publish in our papers. So it's a really interesting uh, method. Well, let's start uh, going into uh, what you learned from the work. And I'd like to start with the theme that just pops out right at the beginning, which is that the community health workers report experiences of both structural racism and interpersonal racism. And those are related, but really somewhat different phenomena. And I wonder if you could, first of all, just make sure our listeners know what the two terms mean, but maybe say then a little bit more about how the workers uh, experience both of those. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. And actually, in answering your question, I also want to tie back a little bit to why we did select photo voice as our method. So, you know, one of the best definitions of structural racism that I've seen um, came from Dr. Zinzi Bailey and colleagues, and I believed their paper was published sometime in 2018. But they define structural racism as kind of the full complement of ways in which societies foster racial discrimination. And according to them, say that this occurs through mutually reinforcing systems such as housing or education, or employment, or earnings, um, benefits, credit, media, healthcare, criminal justice. And those are actually things that did emerge in some of the images that community health workers took for this study. And in terms of structural racism, what Dr. Bailey and others have said is that these patterns and practices then have the effect of reinforcing discriminatory beliefs and values and the distribution of resources. And that's something that's really relevant for a city like Baltimore, where um, historically it, it was the first city to implement kind of a cascade of discriminatory housing practices that even preceded redlining. And so that is something else that also came up 
in the photo voice um, sessions, just the composition of the neighborhoods, the distribution of various resources, and the lack of distribution or disinvestment in predominantly Black and Latinx communities. And then in terms of interpersonal racism, I think that's the racism that most individuals think of when they think of the term racism. It's the set of beliefs and attitudes and actions of individuals that support or perpetuate racism. So discriminatory beliefs and attitudes that may dictate the way that someone treats another individual. So in terms of community health workers, you know, I mentioned some of the things that came out from a structural perspective, Um, things like food insecurity or just the paucity of nutrient-dense offerings within certain neighborhoods, that that's a manifestation of structural racism. And that because some of those, some of the community health workers in the study grew up in similar neighborhoods, they themselves faced that very thing. But then from an interpersonal level, and this was something that has come up anecdotally in conversations, but it was really striking to hear it through these photo voice sessions. They talked a lot about being confronted by discriminatory attitudes from people that they were trying to help or colleagues that they work with in their respective roles. And in that way, they're facing multiple forms of racism, you know, as we mentioned before, structural and interpersonal, but also other ways that it's manifesting in their lives. Well, we could have a whole conversation about this one topic, but I'm really glad you mentioned the role that structural racism plays in building attitudes and assumptions that then become the roots of interpersonal racism, that as you disinvest in a community, then it's easy for outsiders to perceive the people in that community as flawed or less than or not deserving. And those attitudes stem directly from the structures that created them. Um, And it becomes this uh, self-reinforcing system. It's something I don't think we talk about enough, so I'm glad you brought it up. Well, I want to get into some of the other themes and turn to the recommendations that come out from your work. We'll cover those topics after we take a short break. The Innovative Online Master of Science in Health Policy and Law from UCSF and UC Law San Francisco merges study in health policy and law and makes it possible for you to work while pursuing your degree. Even better, you'll be able to employ your new knowledge to your career in real time. Prepare to lead the future of health. Apply by the March 31st priority deadline to join the fall 2024 class. Learn more at uclawsf.edu forward slash HPL. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Chitima Ebay about the voices, images, and experiences of community health workers. Uh, before the break, we started talking about the first theme that emerged from the reporting out from the CHWs, which had to do with the roles of both structural and interpersonal racism. Another theme that emerged that's described in the paper is this mismatch between 
individual level responses to issues and the systemic origins of those issues. This must be very frustrating for CHWs to observe, and I think it probably ties back to some of the issues around structural racism. I hear this from clinicians also all the time, that someone presents and they have a problem or a situation that needs to be addressed, and you sort of have that one person in front of you, but you know the reason they're there has to do with system failures. So I wonder if you could, again, provide a little bit more insight into what's behind that theme that emerged from the work. Sure. So I think one of the values of actually having used photo voice for this study was that we really got to hear and see things through the eyes of community health workers themselves. And that whole idea of discordance between individual level responses to issues that they are facing in their professional roles, and then the systemic roots of those very issues was something that I think the photo voice method really allowed us to delve into in a more nuanced way. So a prime example is one of the participants took a picture of the neighborhood that they worked in. And when we asked as a part of the framework used to facilitate photo voice discussions, why was this happening, which is the W in the showed framework, they basically said that this is happening due to a lack of redevelopment, lack of grocery stores in minority neighborhoods, and a lack of employment. And then they continued on and said that they are trying to connect clients to services. That's the individual level issue that they're addressing. So they're connecting them to services trying to help them, for example, with issues around employment or food insecurity. But at the beginning of how they described why this was happening, they didn't attribute the issue to an individual level failure. They attributed it to something that was structural in nature. And then they're talking about, in this particular participant's case, they talk about how Sometimes they're able to connect that individual or that patient or client to the services or resources that they need. Other times they can't. And some of that has to do with this idea that they're grappling with something that is a lot bigger than themselves, along the lines of what you said around the things that physicians have shared when a patient presents and has issues that they're not able to adequately address in that medical encounter. In the same way, you know, community health workers are trying to help people address these individual level health related social needs. But along the lines of what we discussed earlier, a lot of these issues are coming from things that are systemic. And so it was just fascinating to hear their thoughts about what that actually looks like for them as they're carrying out their tasks. It's unfortunate and yet, again, surprisingly common how often we come back to uh, these systems issues, but that then leads us to sort of how we change systems. Before we get to that, which is a topic we'll sort of close out our discussion on, the other element that really popped out for me in reading the paper is the repeated physical and emotional risk that uh, community health workers experience. Um, And again, it's reflective of the physical and emotional challenges that are borne by members of the communities they're serving. But I, I just wonder if you could elevate this also for our listeners. Sure. Yeah, I would be happy to do that. 
And so I, I do want to mention, you know, kind of as a way of framing this, the unique hazards and challenges that community health workers face, that at least among the participants in this study, they did express that they enjoyed their work. They derived a sense of gratification just to know that they were doing things that contributed to the well-being of their communities. Nonetheless, they talked about feelings of burnout or hopelessness or just feeling that the work itself took a toll on their mental health and overall well-being. In kind of reviewing the discussions that were held with participants, what we found was that they were exposed to various forms of direct and vicarious trauma. So one of the things that we mentioned in the paper as an example were that our Latine participants learned of a group of Central American women who were victims of sex trafficking and that they were actually found held in an area that they had worked in, that the Latine community health workers had frequented as a, over the course of their work. And they even suspected that some of the women who were held captive um, and were victims of this sex trafficking ring were actually previous clients of theirs. And so it caused a lot of discomfort, pain, and in part because the Latin participants also, many of them came from Central America themselves. And so in essence, it's just being, you know, too close to the issue at hand and what that means for them. The other thing that came out quite a bit was just the risk of being a, a victim of some form of crime. So some of the community health workers have either you know experienced being targeted for crimes or they've been very close to instances of violence that are happening in the neighborhoods that they are visiting and that was something that you know as a part of their role they are going out and going into various communities to provide the services and supports that they offer but of course that also means that work isn't occurring in a vacuum, that they're also experiencing and seeing or witnessing um, various issues within those communities. And then the other thing too, that, you know, kind of going back along the lines of what we discussed earlier around interpersonal racism, we also categorized that as an issue of emotional risk because, so we heard this from Latine um the Latin members of the study who discussed the fact that some of their colleagues dismissed their abilities as bilingual speakers or um, reduced the importance of having that skill. And then from some African-American uh, community health workers, which it didn't get into this paper, but is something that I think warrants further interrogation, there were, they also described that there were instances where they went to various neighborhoods in Baltimore City and experienced racism from people that they were trying to outreach or um, just provide various health education information to. So again, those were the kinds of risks that community health workers take on that are somewhat unique and unique from the standpoint that, again, thinking of their membership in marginalized communities, it, it just makes things more all the more challenging. And it's something that really requires some sensitivity around in terms of 
people who are working with community health workers. Well, as we approach the end of our conversation, I want to reflect on something you said a little while ago. You talked about the satisfaction that the community health workers have. I do worry that we've had a bit more of a negative conversation than is uh, warranted. We're talking about challenges and barriers. We're talking about racism and violence, and those are very serious uh, challenges that that need to be spoken about honestly. But there's also tremendous strength and assets here, and I don't want to lose sight of that. So as we uh, move into the final portion of our discussion, I would say that if someone wants to look at all of the recommendations, they should probably read the paper. We don't have time to go through all of them. But I think they do offer somewhat of a path forward that has a, a more positive ways of thinking about what you've learned. And one has to do with the role of community health workers in designing intervention, which is clearly a, a source of strength. And then the other recommendations are around improving working conditions. So I wondered if you could just uh, close us out with a little bit about what you recommended. And uh, again, I don't want to be naive here, but I do think there are some very positive messages that come out of the work that I want to make sure we don't lose. Yeah. Thanks for highlighting that there there's, you know, some positivity associated with this work, because I do think it is easy to kind of focus primarily on what is wrong and what's dysfunctional. And What's really amazing about community health workers is their ability to harness all of these incredible interpersonal skills and whether it's resilience or the ability to connect well with people, empathy, those types of things, and really use them in a way or deploy those skills in a way that helps people feel heard, seen, acknowledged, cared for. And because they have that ability to stand at the interface between two different worlds, whether it's the clinical world or the social service world or realm and the community, they just have a different perspective on things that I think really just demands respect. And so one of the things that we recommended as a result of this study and some of the insights that we gleaned from the participants was that We really need to uplift their leadership when it comes to intervention development. So earlier we talked about the mismatch between the focus on individual level issues and solutions and then structural origins of those issues. And when we think about what it means to uplift community health workers in the context of intervention development, it is something as simple as ensuring that community health workers are included in teams that are developing policies or programs, and not just including them as tokens, but really listening to what they have to say and understanding that the comments that they're sharing or the insights that they're sharing are derived from both personal experiences as well as professional experiences, helping a number of different clients or patients address some of the issues that those programs or policies are tackling. So the other thing too is I think a lot of times when community health workers are incorporated into um, healthcare organizations or into community-based organizations, there are times where CHWs are kind of treated as just, well, that you just go out and do that thing instead of really viewing them as the content experts that they actually are. 
And so I think a part of that notion of uplifting their leadership is also this idea that we really need to be grounded in this understanding that they possess a level of insight that is more nuanced and more sophisticated than people give them credit for. And that those insights are really central to developing policies and programs that are actually relevant for the people who are receiving, who are on the receiving end of those policies and those programs. Well, Dr. Ibe, that's such a great place to end because it circles back to the respect that you gave the community health workers by undertaking this work, wanting to hear their voice, wanting to see the world through their eyes, and then trying to and including them in interpretation of what they had to say and what they experienced. So I'm grateful to you for doing the work, for writing and working with colleagues on the paper, for explaining the critical role that community health workers play and the support they need to be effective. Thank you so much for being my guest today on Health Policy. Thank you so much for having me. And it was really an honor to work with my colleagues on this paper and the community health workers who are part of the Maryland Community Health Workers Association. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about the health policy.